Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the plague. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Ha! Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! Hey, welcome back to Star Trek The Pod Directive, the official Star Trek podcast. My name is Paul F. Tompkins. That's right. That's his name. My name is Tawny Newsom. She got it in one. Got it in one. Man, <laughs> it's a real bummer when I mess up my name. So it's like, what? That's the first thing you learn. What else, what else am I going to mess up if I don't that know is, that? Your, your Twitter handle is literally a messing up of your name. I know. And it. But I can't, I, I can't change it now. So Tony Newsom's Twitter handle is Tr- <laughs> Trondy Newman. Because. What, what was, yeah, what was the origin of that? I don't know if I ever asked you this. Because uh, I'm in a band with uh, a Welshman named John Langford. And I, this was in like 2010. And we were touring around. We were in Arlington or maybe, yeah, maybe we were at the, the Iota Club in Arlington, Virginia. I used to love that rock club. Um, RIP to a great spot. And uh, John has a thick Welsh accent, but he said my name clearly, but you know, it's a loud bar. And he said, you know, and singing with me tonight is Tony Newsom. And after the show, John's, uh, John's 60 now. And so his crowd tends to be close to that age and older oftentimes because uh, he had a long like punk career in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, an elderly gentleman had just finished listening to a extremely loud rock and roll show in a small club. His hearing was a little blown. He did not hear my name correctly. And he came up to me outside and he said, you sang great. What was your name? Trondy Newman. And it just wrecked me. It was the funniest. Uh, Nothing. The the last name could have been a name. The first name is not a name. Trondy. And I just, I said, and I couldn't break his heart. And I said, yep. That's yep. it. Nice to yep. meet you. Thanks for coming to the show. So then when I got on Twitter, I was just like, well, I don't want to just be my name. <laughs> Why would I do that? <laughs> Did I ever tell you? I don't know if I ever told you this story. I used to host this show called Best Week Ever back in the day. Mm-hmm. This was a long time ago. And uh, I... I it was it was a, a Talking Heads comedy show where uh, a bunch of comedians, uh, various comedians, sat in front, sat alone in front of construction paper, and made <laughs> jokes about the events of the week. And sure. they went to a hosted format. I was chosen as the host, and so it became Best Week Ever with Paul F. Tompkins. Uh, not long after the show, the show it only lasted a year. Um, and it was only a I, year. It was only a year that I hosted it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's um, why I think of it as like the thing you did for years. Yeah. Well, because I was on the original version, so it all kind of blends together, you know. Sure. But uh I was on a I was getting on a plane <sighs> and I'm settling into my seat and this guy sits down next to me and says, "Excuse me. Aren't you Aren't you Mr. Hutchinson from Best Week Ever?" <laughs> And I said, 
I said, well, I'm on, I'm on Best Week Ever. My name is, my name is Paul F. Tompkins. And he said, oh, I thought it was Mr. Hutchinson. <laughs> what? Mr. Hutchinson? Aren't you Scott Q. Hutchinson? <laughs> You're like, uh, cl- close. I am, uh, Paul F. Tompkins. <laughs> oh my God. That is a very funny mistake. It was a, so like, I'm trying to figure out like where. Aren't what? you Mr. Hutchinson? <laughs> Mr. Hutchinson. Hello. I'm your host, Mr. Hutchinson. Mr. Have there been any hosts that just go by Mr.? <laughs> just very private. You don't need to know my first name. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Rourke, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Rourke. Call back to our Wrath of Khan app. I think I read on Wikipedia that Mr. Rourke's first name is Josh. What? <laughs> no. Oh, I'm so gullible. I'm so gullible I, Mr. Josh Rourke. <laughs> what is your fantasy? Um, well, this kind of interestingly segues into the conversation we had with Phil Yu about names. Ooh, I um, can't wait to find out how. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, literally the segue is we talked about names. <laughs> true, that's true. That's very true. So this is a real loose, this is what we call a ham-fisted uh, tie-in <laughs> to what we're talking about. You're welcome, everybody. Aren't you um, Mr. Hamfist? <laughs> Uh, aren't you John H. Hamfist? Um, but Phil Yu is a blogger and a podcaster. You may know him as Angry Asian Man on Twitter or from his blog where he talks about the Asian experience in America. You might know him from his podcast, All the Asians on Star Trek, which we get into right at the top of this interview. Uh, really fantastic to talk to. Always a fellow Star Trek fan, but also a fellow podcaster. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like... You know, we're we're literally sitting in this podcast talking to him about his podcast, but it just kind of all feels like, I don't know, it feels like shop talk, like industry shop talk, like everybody knows what this is, you know, no one's confused about the format. It just felt yeah. very, very comfortable. It's also, I love episodes like this where um, we get to get a very specific perspective that is not our own. And mm-hmm. the more we do this, I, you know, I just, it just makes me feel I don't know, more informed about the world. You know what I mean? Like, it really Mm. does, especially me, a, you know, straight, cis, white guy, like, we need to be acquainting ourselves with other people's perspectives. We need to be listening to people. And because there's just shit that you never think about, you know, there's just stuff that you never know because it's outside of your experience and you've not been encouraged to think about it. And now is the time, I think, for for us to be seeking out stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. it's so wonderful to have this setup where we can interview somebody like Phil about this stuff so you don't have to go to your friends and make them be the ambassadors for all (laughs) for an entire race of people or whatever. Um, I'm glad that conversations like this are recorded and exist in the world so people can seek them out and hear something um, that they didn't know before. And it's, it's for me, it's like, I'm still learning a lot of stuff and I'm grateful for the, I'm grateful for the lessons and, and grateful for people that are so generous with their, with their time and their experience. And, you know, it was great to talk to Phil. He's, he was really, he was really fun and passionate and uh, smart. And, you know, I, I just had a ball chatting with him. Yeah. And I, I, I so agree with everything you're saying. I also think that if you are uh, one of those people of color who maybe their friends in a very earnest way do come up and ask you a, a lot of things to explain a lot of things. Episodes like this are something you can just like 
point them to. You can just, you know, say, hey, you should listen to this. And it doesn't have to be like, a, I don't want to talk about it. But I mean, we know that's the subtext that, you know, sometimes you don't want to be the, you're not on the clock to explain representation all the time if you don't feel like it. But someone like Phil, who's literally doing a podcast about it, these are the resources for you. And they can be fun and funny and casual. It doesn't have to be like sitting down and reading a thick ass racism book. Um, <laughs> although I do recommend some of you do that as well. Yeah, uh, <laughs> absolutely. I also love that um, we got into, you know, I think, and this comes up in the interview. I think I bring it up a little clumsily if I may note myself, but I want to point out that we are able to have a conversation with Phil about things that Trek has done right in terms of representation and things where they may have missed the mark or where they still have room to grow. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important that you all know that that is something that we are comfortable doing on this pod. Mm -hmm. There is not a, a shyness about criticizing this thing that we love so much. It doesn't mean we love it less. It means that we want it to be the best it can be. And so being really honest about, um, you know, some of the, some of the mistakes of the past, that's important to us here. So yeah, we will continue to, to do that, to hold the thing we love, you know, accountable. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel like there is definitely a, um, you, you can see the the progression of the show, and I, I think we talk about it on this episode. The concept of a show that is set in a in a sort of utopian future for planet Earth, where the the real life people in the show are trying to catch up to that idea that they mm-hmm. have they, that they are presenting as uh, a fait accompli um, mm-hmm. uh, is it's a really it's kind of a actually a cool thing to watch you know to mm-hmm. to see the show uh, try to grow with the times um, while projecting forward. I don't know it's it's a wild thing to have a blueprint. <laughs> Like, this is what we're aiming for, but here's where we are right now, and we have to realize where we are right now and uh, how we can move forward to get to where we're we're hoping to be. Yeah. That was... Well said. You get what I'm saying. It, I thought it was well said. <laughs> I'm calling that a well said thing to say. Oh, I'm too sexy for my shirt. Oh, God, we got to go. All right. <laughs> uh, without further ado, we will uh, get to our talk with Phil Yu right after this. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, she just wanted to mute her video. Right, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) This is perfect. Nothing is wrong. Nothing has happened. We're here with Phil Yu. Phil, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, Phil, you run an excellent podcast called All the Asians on Star Trek. And 
its goal, its mission is to do exactly what it says, or is it a trick title that that does something else? Uh, no, it's it, the conceit is in the title. Yeah, I, I always introduce <laughs> it as like, you'll know what I'm talking about from the title. It's all the Asians on Star Trek, the podcast in which we <laughs> interview all the Asians on Star Trek. And uh, everyone's everyone seems to get it when I say it that way. So, yeah, it's also wild, which I'm sure is not lost on you that you could have a podcast that aims to do that, because I don't. I mean, there's no no white people could have a podcast. No, no, no. All no. the white yeah, people yeah, yeah, on Star yeah. Trek. <laughs> no, it's it's. I mean, in a way, it is a giving some shine to the Asian and Asian American performers who have been in the Star Trek franchise, right? Because a lot of them have, you know, there are series regulars and guest stars, and some of them are just they were in for two seconds, and but just giving them a little bit of uh, attention and asking them about their time on Star Trek. The other part of it, though, is kind of pointing to the fact that there aren't a lot that there aren't that many right there are some but there aren't that many on star trek and so highlighting all the asians means that you know there's some wor- there's some ways to go the, the franchise has kind of had a history of being a little more white than it should be especially in its depiction of the future right sure and yeah and i feel like we, you know we we both are able to be critical and complimentary of the franchise just because it's an official pod doesn't mean we can't like you know say our true feelings about stuff and I do feel like the franchise has been better about certain groups. Like I've certainly seen better black representation than we have other groups. And I I know it's something that they still work on and strive for. And thank goodness every day it feels like 40 new shows get greenlit. So, (laughs) you know, there's plenty of room to to rectify some of that. But uh, yeah, I I like I like your show because it seems to uh, exactly what you said. It, It draws attention to the fact that. Hey, there could have been more, but also let's celebrate the ones that the ones that have gotten to be a part of it. Right. I mean, the, I, I'm one of these people who grew up watching television and movies. I'm, a, you know, just a, grew up a huge pop culture fiend. But I was also, as an Asian American viewer, always one of those people who watched it, like looking in the background anywhere. Like, are there any? Asian, and then when there were, I was like, oh my god, there's an, there's an Asian face, you know, and. Right. Uh, it would be like a big deal. I'd be like, hey, everybody, come to the TV. Look, look who's here. <laughs> look who's on TV. So um, I am one of those people who would watch Star Trek as a fan, as someone who loved it, counting the number of times I could see like an sure. Asian somewhere, anywhere, like in the background, in engineering, whatever, you know. Yeah. That's a thing that people like like me don't grow up with a with an understanding of is that how much it means to even see an extra in a show mm-hmm. that looks like you in a sea of people that don't look like you and to see someone even in the background, just the idea. I mean, it's the ultimate, you know, literal interpretation of representation of the mm-hmm. idea that yes, we exist in the future. <laughs> you know, we, this, <laughs> you know, this is, this is proof that um, we are at least acknowledged, but that if you grow up like me, or you just used to seeing people that look like you all the time. I had no shortage of, of role models. I had no shortage of, of characters that I could identify with, even if they weren't, you know, exactly like me personality wise, I had like, I had people to choose from, you know, and say that guy's my favorite, you know, out of mm-hmm. all the, out of all the white characters. Right. I mean, and it's not like I watch Star Trek and be like, well, I don't relate to anybody here because right. there's no Asians. Right. And it's like, dude, I can relate to a Klingon. I can relate to an yeah. Android. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and you just do that. That's just the work of, of watching something and enjoying it. Right. But it, it does make a difference when I do see myself represented in some closer way to to who I am. It's it's all that more special, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I've 
I'm not railing against something like I love, like Star Trek, being like, ah, oh, they didn't do a great job. But it's just like, you know, like anything else in the world, you are able to put yourself into the shoes of, of some, a character, a story, and enjoy it, like, regardless of who you are. That's just great storytelling. Mm-hmm. My dad famously told me that he wouldn't see Titanic because he uh, there's not one black person, not even a background actor. <laughs> and when that movie came out, I remember being like, there's got to be some. They got that lower part of the ship where everybody's basically a slave and everyone's shoveling coal. There's one or two. My dad was like, watch it again. And then like the next th- three times I watched it because I was the age when it came out that everyone was like falling all over themselves for Leonardo DiCaprio. I watched it like three or four more times and I was like, fuck, he's right. There is not, this is a huge movie. To not have one black person in the whole thing it's not like we weren't around, like we, we weren't doing cool shit yet, but we were there and it really made me think. I was like, God, that is such a, almost feels intentional. It just feels so hurtful to not not see any inclusion. In a lot of ways, it's just the default. You know, it's just like a default setting that Hollywood mm-hmm. has just been kind of going on for so long that no one really questions it, right? It's only mm-hmm. now that you see like a, a concerted effort to just, you know, make diversity inclusion just look like the world a little bit closer that you mm-hmm. that you know it becomes like it suddenly becomes like a big deal when honestly it should just be like hey look outside your window that's not a big deal is it so why, why shouldn't your screen reflect that i agree um when did you first start watching trek or what we like to call like what was what was your first contact with star trek uh well i definitely watched the um the old the original series in reruns when i was a kid right it was on every weeknight um i was a little too young to really understand what the hell was going on but it was a lot of like ooh aliens and and spaceships and pew pew you know and so you're like that's cool and then of course like seeing sulu at the helm would always be like oh yeah look like you know there's another instance where like there's an asian guy and so it registered um but like most of the people my my age i definitely got into it um next generation era deep space nine voyager um and that also was like a healthy dose of like after school reruns um, mm. and you know there was a point where like it was on every day multiple times a day and so you just kind of like you were <laughs> if you hadn't seen the series up to then you, you could catch up just by watching tv every day which i did <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> uh, what, one of the things that i always find very uh, uh, interesting is the the push and pull with trek and representation because they are setting up and it they have set up with their premise an accountability system that they are often forced to adhere to if they haven't already, you know? So they, it, it's, it's tracking the idea of representation over the years that in the, in the very beginning, the idea that Nichelle Nichols was just on the bridge, even though she didn't have like a ton of storylines, you know, a lot of those characters were, they were regulars, but they didn't, ever it wasn't like next generation where everyone had their turn you know in the spotlight necessarily um to then as it's gone as it's gone longer it's always like it's a little bit i feel like the the casting is always a little bit behind what the culture is but they get there eventually like they Mm. (laughs) it takes it takes time but eventually they they sort of uh work towards what they do. I mean, when you think about the original series, 
having why is there a Russian guy on the bridge? And it's because the Cold War was happening and they're mm -hmm. trying to present a future where we don't have enemies anymore. You know, we're, we're all mm -hmm. one united planet. But so do you see, Phil, a, a series coming uh, where there is uh, even higher profile Asian representation? I mean, sure. Like, why not? Right. Um, there's like seems like a dozen Star Trek series. <laughs> you know, happening or in the works or whatever. And I'm with each one, I'm always like really excited because like, oh, that means there's going to be a whole new cast. Maybe there'll be an Asian in there. Maybe there'll be more than one Asian. Who knows? You know? Like there, there's always that rule. Treat. There's always that rule. It seemed like Hollywood was operating on a rule. Like if there was an Asian person in the cast, you could only have one because mm -hmm. you can't have more than one because that's too confusing, right? Yeah. So who knows? Like um, I would love to see because – Honestly, if you just look at numbers, if you just look at the population of 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 the Earth, uh, the future <laughs> should have been much more populous. I'm saying Starfleet should have had m way more Asian people in it from the <laughs> get go. Absolutely, sure, right? Sure. So uh, just proportionally, uh, yeah. it it just seems like there are a lot more like otherworldly aliens than actual people of Asian descent in Star Trek. Yeah. So yeah, I, I have hope. I have hope. Yeah, I do too. I recently listened to an episode of your pod, All the Asians on Star Trek, uh, the interview you did with Rosalind Chow, who played Keiko O'Brien in both TNG and DS9. I love that talk so much. I, I don't think I've ever heard an interview with her before. And hearing you talk about how she was the one of the first Asian faces that you got to see on TV you know, from different strokes, from her work in Joy Luck Club, like one of the most prominent people that you got to, you know, really identify with on screen. It was a really cool conversation between you. And she was a little bashful about it, <laughs> uh, about being kind of the, about being a role model maybe, or I don't know. I don't feel like you were putting her on some kind of pedestal, but it was cute to hear her. Yeah. Just talk about that experience a little bit. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I was geeking out hard. I mean, I, I was <laughs> sure. like, I, like I, to me, she's like, She's like a veteran acting. She's a legend in a lot of ways to me um, because she was one of those few people that I saw regularly when I was growing up in movies and television. So um, to have her just across the table, this is this is pre-COVID. So it was, it was, we were across the table from each other and mm. I was like, this is so great. And then she was so sweet and so cool. And I don't know if she does like in-depth interviews with people where we just kind of go and I and I got to gush I'm like I loved you in different strokes mm. you know you were in MASH yeah. Joy Luck Club changed my life like all this stuff you know and and then also doing a deep dive where I really appreciated the character of Keiko O'Brien and her you know and she I feel like you know that was a long time ago for her and uh, mm -hmm. she was like I mean she's appreciative of the of the experience and in and, and the relationships she was made from it but in a lot of ways, it's like you know, it was like this is also another job for her. But I, but I was like, no, I mean, I need to I need to communicate to you like this is very meaningful to me in my life. Well, it what blew me away, and again, this doesn't have to be like a a synopsis show of another podcast. Y'all should just go <laughs> listen to that podcast. But um, <laughs> what was wild to me was when you pointed out that you had counted her number of episodes, and you counted that what I think she was in five TNG episodes and 19 DS9 episodes across seven seasons for each. That is bonkers because she is so present to me. She is I a main. I thought it was so much more. Absolutely. She feels like a regular. Yeah, that's, for sure. wild. And I wondered if it's because we just liked her so much. And I don't know. She just feels very present to me. I mean, for me, that's what it felt like. Because I agree. I was shocked 
to just do the count and see like, oh, you weren't really in that many episodes. But her presence is very much felt. And I feel like, at least for me, it was because like her presence registers a little extra, a little extra brighter when I see an Asian face on screen. Maybe, maybe that's sure. it. Yeah. I think that Keiko O'Brien is, is also a very, um, she's a very down-to-earth character. She's a very just regular person character because she's not a Starfleet officer. She's not, you know, she's, mm-hmm. it feels like she has more dimensions than the people that are in this sort of, you know, military exploration organization. And I think that her appearances on the show always do strike a chord because she immediately becomes an audience surrogate in a way that a lot of those mm. characters can't be, you know, because she's like a regular, regular old human being, you know, out there in space <laughs> with all these things going on. And you, I feel like you just instantly identify with her because a lot of, a lot of it's like, wait, what's, we have to, we have stuff at home to worry about. Like, what about, how's that going to affect this thing that we have to do with our child and, you know, all that. Right. And she's also in features prominently in some of my, like some of the my favorite episodes, particularly from Next Generation. I mean, she's introduced in in Data's Day, which mm. I think is like a like a marvelous episode. Mm-hmm. There's an episode where she gives birth, where like uh, where she gi- she gives birth to her kid. Um, I forgot the ep- name of the episode where, but like the ship's just in peril and everything's blocked off, and um, you know she has this great like uh, labor scene with where Worf delivers her baby. Oh right. Um, there's the episode where she's shrunken into a kid, into a, <laughs> into oh, yeah, a, yeah, a yeah. transport oh, action yeah, shrinks yeah. into a kid. Um, she's not in that episode much, but the the young actress that plays her has like the one of those awkward scenes ever with her and uh, Colomini as Miles O'Brien, like they're oh, trying to play a husband yes. and wife. Yeah, and it's she's so like weird. Kid. Yeah, that's a little cringy. Oh, and then there's <laughs> then there's all those wild episodes where she's like kind of the broker in ds9 between the bajoran you know because she's educating all the children on the space station so she's kind of the she becomes this switzerland sort of in the in the all the bajoran hullabaloo and seasons one and two yeah i mean she really does that's a lot of heavy lifting for maybe less than 25 episodes across (laughs) two series there's also i also during the podcast i asked her about um this one episode where she's possessed by a paw wraith in Deep Space Nine. Which yes. I asked her, did you have a favorite episode? And she cited that one. And I said the same one because in that episode, it looks like she's having a blast, <laughs> right? She's not just yeah. playing sort of Miles's wife uh, and, and mother to Molly, but she's like, you have to do what I say. I'm going to kill everybody. I'm going to kill. I'm going to kill Keiko. <laughs> and it's just, yeah, it's so delicious, you know? Yeah. I love that part of the conversation too, um, which Yeah, that kind of brings me to my next question about meaningful representation, right? Because it's one thing to have black people on the the bottom level of that Titanic ship. And it's another (laughs) thing to give them agency and storyline and, yeah, just give them points of view that then make them more empathetic to people who maybe would not have thought to see themselves in them at first. Are there any other characters, Asian or otherwise, that you feel like that was handled really well with throughout the franchise? I mean, if you're talking about minor characters getting their due, you know, one of my favorite episodes of Next Generation is the episode The Lower Decks, which, you know, where that that episode uh, has inspired other projects in, in Star Trek. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, have, I have that episode to thank for my current gig. You know, uh, I love that one because it, 
takes the camera angle and points it a, just a little bit different, a different way, right? And um, someone like uh, Alyssa Ogawa, Nurse Alyssa Ogawa, who's also like a fan favorite, mm -hmm. like recurring character on Next Generation, um, also Asian American. She gets like a, a good amount of story with these other minor characters. I love that episode also because Star Trek is definitely about the big ideas. But what I also really love about Star Trek is the minutia, right? And Star mm -hmm. Trek fans love the minutia. And that episode, when it talks about day-to-day -day operations of the Enterprise and promotions and performance reviews and stuff like, mm -hmm. like I love that stuff. I love all that <laughs> yeah. kind of like... Uh, Starship HR stuff that that um, <laughs> you know we only we sometimes get to see that that episode is all that Starship HR is a great way to put it <laughs> yeah because it's like you're watching Lavelle uh, and some Lavelle stress about you know getting promoted and trying to impress Riker and I love that moment where someone gives him the bad information that Riker's Canadian and then he goes up to like try and buy a drink and get you next to him. And he's like, so uh, my grandfather's from Canada. And Riker's like, I don't give a fuck. I'm from Alaska. And he's like, okay, bye. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, Mike McMahon has talked about, our creator for Lower Decks has talked about how obviously that episode was the impetus for the machine of our show, Lower Decks, which is like, you're just, you're you're still there fulfilling a function, but you don't know, you don't have all the details. You don't know what's going on. Yeah. It's a real uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern in space. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. I mean, because you have hundreds of people on this ship. Like, what what are they doing? Why are we still focusing on these five people all the time, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, and so all that aside, like that episode also on an emotional level is one of the few times I remember like watching a Star Trek episode and just crying, like crying mm. because of the whole storyline with uh, with Ensign Sito. And she does the whole undercover thing. And when Picard goes on the speaker and announces to everybody that she's passed, like I, I don't think I cried when I first saw the episode as a kid, but like I recently watched it within the last couple of years as a grown ass adult. Mm. And it totally got to me. And mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm actually sure. kind of, I'm actually kind of like, tearing up a little bit just talking about it because it, it I don't know it strikes me on a different level now as an adult just that feeling of loss and and being very close to people who are now passing you know as I gotten older that's a thing that has happened to me in my life and so it becomes more real in a lot of ways mm -hmm. yeah yeah Phil why what made you start this podcast at this time like how long is this something you've been thinking about for a long time and then you were finally like, I got to go ahead and do it? Like how long had it been on your mind before you started doing it? It had been on my mind for a long time. Like I, it had been gestating, like it almost came out fully formed when I actually did start working on it because I had thought about it for so mm -hmm. long. Like part of the reason, the idea I got for it and I got for it and I thought, oh, I could, maybe I could do this was because, uh, you know, having lived in LA for a little while now, I've kind of been plugged into the Asian American entertainment community in Hollywood. And I know a lot of Asian American actors and stuff like that. And some of them have been in the industry for a long time. And as I've gotten to know them, I've realized like, oh, wait, you were on Star Trek? You did a guest spot on, <laughs> you know, Eye of the Beholder? Like I, uh, you know, and so yeah. <laughs> was able to, and I started adding it all up. And I, I realized I knew a lot of folks. Uh, and I thought like, I'd really like to talk to you about Star Trek, or just about filming that or whatever, you know? And, and I thought, if I could compile all those into a, I think I could make a whole podcast about that, you know, about all the Asians on yeah. Star Trek. So I got to work and yeah. And then it was delayed a little while because of COVID, because of everything, the world. 
but at some point I realized like if I don't do this now, I'm never going to get to it. If I just keep on thinking about it and thinking about how awesome it's going to be if I finally do it, like it's never going to get done. So you just got to do it. <laughs> so you hit record, you call up friends, you hit record and you do it. What was the feeling like when you finally uploaded that? Was, the, was there the relief of having done it or was there now the anticipation of how is this going to be received? Well, one, there's like a thousand Star Trek podcasts out there, it seems like, and which is cool. And I was, I was glad to sort of, because I listened to a lot of them and I would I wanted to uh, kind of have a, a place in there somewhere. But I re- but I also was like, is this too niche for, is this too narrow of a <laughs> of an interest? No. Even within Star Trek? And I was like, ah. When it comes to Trek, that doesn't exist. I'm <laughs> confident of it. You can get as niche as you need to and people will follow you there. I've definitely discovered that. Yeah. So <laughs> I thought, well, let's just, let's see what happens. But I was definitely like, uh, well, let's see if anybody really cares about this corner of Star Trek. And, you know, a lot of people care about a lot of different corners of Star Trek. So uh, that's mm-hmm. been really that's been really fun. Like people mm-hmm. have been very receptive to to all of it, actually. So Trek has had a lot of uh, surprising, you could say, guest stars throughout the years. People that we know now in different ways. Here are some. Let's see if everybody knew about all these. I didn't know about most of these. Um, Terry O'Quinn. Terry O'Quinn. We best know him as John Locke and Lost. He was uh, he played Riker's superior officer on uh, Pegasus, the Pegasus, the episode with Worf, where Worf is like, wait, is that the episode where it's Worf's birthday? No, that's a different <laughs> no, that's, one. <laughs> no, no, it's, uh, it's the one where um, Riker was involved in like a cover-up. Yes. I think they had technology where the ship could phase, a cloak and phase or something like that, and it was kind of illegal. Next surprising guest star, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> that's right, The Rock was in Voyager. Uh, he played a Tsunkatsu champion in the Voyager episode Tsunkatsu. I did not recall that one. Yes, you went one on one with uh, with Seven of Nine. Oh, that's right. Oh, good old Jerry Ryan in the ring. Good old Jerry Ryan. Um, we've talked on the show before about Iggy Pop's bizarre, absolutely perfect, weird guest spot on <laughs> Deep Space Nine in the Magnificent Ferengi. Yeah, we talked with um, Aaron McDonald about that, and I I love that appearance because he. In a show all about space and complete other universes, he somehow found a yet a different universe to be in. <laughs> uh, we also got Gabrielle Union playing a Klingon on an episode of Deep Space Nine. We got Sarah Silverman, Kelsey Grammer. Man, this must have been uh, this must have been a good gig. This must have been a good guest gig in the nineties. <laughs> I think there were a lot of people, uh, you know, like Mick Fleetwood, who plays a big fish man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and has no dialogue. I think that there were some people that actively requested, like said, I want to be a part of this. Uh, you know, I want to be, I want to be part of the canon. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course there's the famous Whoopi Goldberg story that she wanted to be on the show and no one would believe her. And she had to yeah. get, <laughs> she had to get LeVar Burton to say, no, she's serious. She actually wants to be on the she show. She wants to do this. <laughs> oh, I love that story. Um, another one of my favorites was, uh, BB Newworth which I did not recognize her at first. She was in uh, the episode of TNG First Contact. And I think she literally has two scenes. And one of them is her just brazenly seducing Riker. 
Right. And it's such a comedy role. It's fantastic. It's such a like yeah. Broadway diva doing a comedy role. I love it. <laughs> She's incredibly horny immediately for this alien. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like she has been, this is her thing and she's been waiting for it to happen. It's yeah. like she's been writing alien fanfic, like <laughs> exactly. a, weird, like alien, like romance stories. And then all of a sudden it's yeah. true. It's like my time has come. <laughs> I can't yes, believe it's actually like, happening. You've come to the right place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, too ready. Too ready to get it on with the alien. Oh, fantastic. Phil, do you have any uh, dream guests for your podcast and dream guests that you'd like to see on on Trek in some iteration? Oh, man. Uh, well, the my dream guest, and I think this is the guest, if I ever got her on, I could just end the show. Like, I'm only like 11 episodes in, but if I got her, then I was like, okay, we're done. And that would be Michelle Yeoh. I mean, she's yeah, she's she's the queen. She's a goddess. Even you know, before she was ever involved with Star Trek, she was already like just a legend. An icon. Yeah, a absolutely. legend. So yeah. if I ever got to talk to her, I don't know where it could go from there. Um, <laughs> uh, of course, there's George Takei, right? I mean, um, right. I, I have talked to him before, just um, outside the podcast, and he's great. And so that would be awesome. Uh, someone who's been in the Star Trek franchise uh, uh, as a guest star is Daniel Day Kim. Mm -hmm. uh, he was an episode of Voyager, uh, Blink of an Eye. He and I actually have become friends over the years. And so that's an easy ask, I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I want to say that. I don't want to, like, front load the, the right. podcast with just all these <laughs> sure, big names. Sure. And then I have nowhere to go, right? So uh, kind of biding my time with that. So, yeah. Yeah, you got to sprinkle them out. Um, we did get the opportunity to talk to Michelle. She is an absolute otherworldly, just a, an elegant being who's also very funny and fun. Yeah. Like everything that you want her to be, she is. Yeah. I kind of, I, I kind of don't want to talk to her in a lot of ways because I feel like <laughs> it's like coming too close to the sun. Like I don't, I don't, you know, I just don't want, you know, I, 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 can't, I don't think I could handle it. It, it felt a little like that. And then it's also as if the sun immediately is just like throwing an arm around your shoulder and it's yeah. like, you're okay. And you're like, are you sure? <laughs> I'm not going to burn you. I'm just yeah, going to make like, you feel okay. warm. Okay. You can though. I'm still very aware that you're able to. Um, no, she's absolutely delightful. And hearing her talk about her experience with track and with cons and with, you know, uh, fans and stuff, it's, it's wild. Cause she, again, like Rosalind, she is such a legend and has such a long career outside of track that mm -hmm. this is just, this is just another piece of the artistic puzzle. <laughs> I wanted to ask Phil, is there anybody you'd like to see on track that hasn't been on track? Like who oh, would wow. be fun to see? Wow. Um, and they don't have to be an Asian person, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I would like to see the Korean actor Song Gang-ho. He was the star of Parasite. Oh, yeah. I would yeah. like to see him in somewhere in Trek. Absolutely. Uh, it would be awesome. Hell yeah. This might be a, a, a both or either or you don't care type question, but when it comes to representation, do you... I'm going to say it the messy, problematic way, but what I think <laughs> is like when there's a black person on a sci-fi show, but they're all aliened out and they're not actually presenting like a black human person, it depends for me. Sometimes I'm a little like, well, could we have just had more black people on here? Did you have to make them all, you know, silly putty aliened? But then sometimes I'm like, actually, that's more fun. Like the fact that they mm -hmm. get to play an alien role. So I go real back and forth on that. But do you have feelings about how you prefer your representation? I feel like I'm in a place in terms of Asian representation. 
uh, I can't pick and choose. I, I, I can't be picky yeah. about it because it's so little. I'll take it yeah. all. I'll take it all. I, mm-hmm. you know, I'll take the sort of the alien rep and then just and no alien makeup rep is, is totally is great because I love seeing it all. Honestly, mm-hmm. um, I I'm I'm in a place where like because there have been so few and it's so scarce. Uh, my friends and I came up with this uh, idea. We call it the rep sweats. Is that when we see an Asian person on screen, I get nervous because I'm going to be like, is this going to be yeah. something I, I'm, I'm proud of? Is, or is yeah. it going to be something I'm like, I don't know about this. Um, uh-huh. Star Trek is usually very good about this. But when I see, uh, in general, when I see Asians on screen just pop up, I'm like, all right, what's this? Like, I brace myself. I'm like, yeah, is this going to be good? <laughs> Yeah, and how quickly do you know that it's gone bad? Is it the name? Is it the the <laughs> chosen profession they've given them? I, I feel like it's usually a quick. If you hear a gong in their intro, yeah, then no. it's it's no good. Oh, it's no. it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> it's oh, gone wrong. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Which is like basically anything involving an like something made by white people starring Asians in the 80s that's it that's absolutely like- <laughs> absolutely yeah it's the it's the flower drum song effect it was like oh wow this forward-thinking musical that has all Asian people but then it's like every melodic device is some horribly you know a horribly stereotypical <laughs> far east sound with gigantic air quotes yeah I I get that I I feel like black people don't have a we don't have a gong but there are there are telltale things that I see or hear or feel. It, usually for me, it's names. I get this in a script a lot of times. There, if if there's any kind of like white person attempting b- black American names, I'm just like ah. Oh this no, is, this feels oh. wild to me. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to names, I'm always kind of I'm always interested in seeing when um, uh, Asian actors are cast in roles where the name is something like Tom Baker, and you're like yeah. And I was like, oh, was this written for anybody? And they really did cast wide and let anybody uh, audition for this role. And this Asian person got it. Like, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Love that. On the other side, on the other hand, I, I actually really am now really appreciating when someone took take the time to write in a specifically an Asian character and gives them the name, gives them a background. And like, you know, as opposed to like, this is just one size fits all and just like drop somebody in there. Like, that's cool, too. Mm hmm. But I would like to see more of like someone took the time and care to craft an actual an Asian character with some legitimacy. You know, mm-hmm. it's both. One of the things we talked about last season with one of our guests, um, Angelica Bastian, was about uh, Captain Cisco and how even though if you count the number of DS9 episodes that are about race, it's actually very few where that's like a theme or even talked about. But what what they did a really good job of was embedding him and his family with black cultural tent poles, specifically with Creole food, with them being from New Orleans. Anytime we saw his dad, it was just like black grandpa supreme. Like it just <laughs> felt so without ever having to like tackle issues of race outside of maybe five episodes or so or even fewer. It, we we got the sense that this was a, f- a, a fully thought out character. This wasn't just a white character that they then put a black actor into. Have there been examples of that for you? I'm trying to think, was there that specificity with like a Harry Kim on Voyager? I can think of a few things with Keiko O'Brien, but yeah, I'm curious what you think. I mean, uh, so when they introduced Keiko, she was wearing this for her wedding, this like chiffon space kimono, basically, as her (laughs) wedding dress. (laughs) Like, okay, that's a cultural note, you know. Um, 
Um, and you know, they're they're very much putting a stamp like this is a Japanese character. One thing that I find really interesting is uh, on Voyager, Garrett Wong played Harry Kim, right? And Garrett Wong is is Chinese American, and he's playing a presumably Korean American character with the last name Kim. I'm Korean American, so I, I clock that. Okay, sure. And that's and that's cool because I like I. I do believe like if there are East Asian actors, they can play East Asian characters um, fluidly when it's possible. Although I found out later, and I heard this interview with with Garrett Wong, where he said, I think multiple seasons in, he was talking to the writers about. I, I think it's a, one of the first times his character's culture or ethnicity had been broached. He just kind of brought it up. They said, "Well, your character is is Chinese, isn't he? I mean, you're Chinese, so yeah. your character's Chinese." And they're like to the writers, he was like. You don't know the ethnic. You think my character's been Chinese this whole time with you the last name Kim? You picked a name. Yeah, uh, they just did. They just. It's just not something that they had thought about. And I was like, "Wow, um, wow." Yeah. So, so sometimes you should do the research. That's definitely- yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna say always. Wow, that is wild, and I did not know that. Also, no, like, that's oof. What a strange go-to for you know, because there's a lot of stereotypical names that I feel like a white writer might go to. Gosh, wow. To, so to pick Kim and then cast a Chinese guy and just be like, okay, you're Chinese. Ooh. Yeah, like it's interchangeable. Um, yeah. you know, if, they, if they had renamed the character, that would be another thing. But they they just, I, I think they just presumed that Kim Kim was the was a Chinese guy. Yeah. Um, the thing that comes up often when I talk to Asian American actresses is that uh, they no longer want to be cast as any character's name, Mei Ling. Mei Ling is the default oh lazy writer's Asian <laughs> wow. woman's name. <laughs> I was talking to Rosalind Chow, and she's like, yeah, Mei Ling or some bullshit, you know, so. Yeah, I'm uh, done with that name. <laughs> <laughs> she'll tell, if she's cast in a role, she'll tell people, can we change the name Ooh. Mei Ling to something, anything else? Wow. Yeah. I have a friend, my friend Poonam Patel, uh, she's Indian American, and when she gets a role, oftentimes she will ask, if they want the role to be Indian, she will ask them to change the first name, because I think what happens a lot of times is she does get roles that maybe were written for white women, and she's just like, yeah, I'm 100% Indian, my parents are from India, mm-hmm. I-, I would not have this name, and if this character is anything like me, you know, we just need to make it something a little closer. And I think having those conversations, while they're not true for everyone, it's so important to just let people know, you know, because if if we're all trying to do the right thing and create more opportunity for different people, that means we're going to be writing for things outside of ourselves, And so and that's OK. You just then have to be receptive to when the people who are that thing you're trying to represent say, hey, please, please no more Mei Ling. Please, <laughs> please know that this guy you've written is Korean. <laughs> Phil, what shows beyond uh, Trek have done it well, in your opinion? Oh, uh, well, there haven't been that many. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I actually think like in the mold of a very traditional sitcom, like Fresh Off the Boat was kind of revolutionary. And for what it was to show like a multi-season arc of a of an Asian American family, I appreciated that. Having grown up watching, grown up on American sitcoms, it's the sitcom I would have wanted to watch when I was a kid. You know what I mean? So that in that respect, like being able to sort of watch this very traditional network sitcom about a about a fa- family a taiwanese american family was was a blast you know uh, there's a show on cinemax which is very cinemax called warrior and it was conceived <laughs> by bruce lee he never really he never got to make it this the the legend is that uh, uh they took the idea and they made kung fu and cast a white guy who's supposed <laughs> to be starring 
Bruce Lee. Uh, it made Kung Fu. But this show on Cinemax, Warrior, is great in that it's like an exciting action gangster drama. But they managed to slip in some really interesting ideas about Asian American identity, Chinese American identity, immigration, just the struggle of being new in this country and trying to make your way. And it's very, it's actually very uh, relevant to sort of the things that are happening in our country right now. So uh, that show to me is thrilling. Oh, that does sound good. So, Phil, you also run the website Angry Asian Man. Folks might know you as Angry Asian Man on Twitter. Great follow, by the way. If y'all not following him, go, go ahead and give him one. I like your about section on your blog. I think it says this blog is about Asians in America or this blog is about Asian America. Yeah. T- talk about that. How did that come about? It's funny because because uh, uh, we're coming up on 2021 will be the 20th anniversary of that blog. So, wow. Uh, wow. Yeah. I cannot believe it. Sometimes I think I did the math wrong and I'm like, is it really been 20 <laughs> years? I have a hard time believing blogs have existed for that long. How old am I? What am when I doing? I, when I started it, I didn't know what I was doing was even referred to as blogging. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, someone told me that later. I was like, oh, is that what it is? Okay. Yeah. But it's just this. I started because I was I, I just had ideas and this Internet thing was new and I wanted to share mm-hmm. what I was thinking and about my identity, my community. Things I was seeing in, in media and pop culture and like anything else. And this is pre-social media. So I think that if Twitter or Facebook or any of these social media platforms had ex- existed back then, I would have just channeled that energy into to that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you share links, you share posts, whatever. But it did not yet exist. So I kind of had to make my own platform and I started blogging. And along the way, I picked up a following, uh, a little bit of notoriety. And so... Um, it's kind of become my personal and professional calling over the years. And mm-hmm. and because of Angry Asian Man and because of all that, it's, it's, it's why I was able to make all the Asians on Star Trek and all this other stuff. So it's a weird position to be in, to be like having done this now for 20 years. Like I, when I was doing it in the beginning, I felt like I was like such a rebel and like, and, you know, able to yeah. say what I wanted, like, you know, on the internet and, and just be this voice uh, saying whatever I wanted. And now having the, the, done this 20 years, I feel like really old. I feel really like <laughs> kind of like. I don't want to like, say what I want anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel a little bit beaten down uh, by the internet, you know. Yeah. Uh, no, but it's I good. I mean, you. it's, yeah. I, 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 but I appreciate what it is provided for me. It's almost like, do you feel like something kind of seismic would have to shift either in you or in culture for you to lay it to rest. Like there'd have to be this epic moment of equality that happens before you can go, ah, my work here is done and <laughs> lay down your keyboard. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 uh, people have asked me like, well, what happened? Like, what would it take for you not to be angry anymore? And I'm like, <laughs> that's not happening. Any t- have you looked at yeah. this past year? I mean, like, <laughs> right. like just, no, it's, it's just not, uh, there will always be, it seems like there will always be sort of fuel for that. And so, yeah, I don't mind that, I guess. I guess uh, what, what, what I really appreciate is just that it's the, the site and, and everything around it has given me a voice. And so mm-hmm. it's allowed me to, to say what I want. And um, it's inspired others to do so, too, I think. so. Yeah, definitely. Good. Well, I'm sure you've heard that from people in, in the way that, you know, you talking to uh, Rosalind Chow was, was so monumental for you. I'm sure that. You must have heard from people that are saying you are 
you are speaking for me when you say these things. That's These are feelings that I've had and you've expressed them and I'm so glad that you're putting it out there. I mean, you and, and I'm sure through the podcast as well, you found people that are, you know, other guys like you, people like you that, you know, are were, was, grew up Star Trek fans feeling the same way and, you know, that there's a, there's a specific community out there that is now finding each other. Yeah, it's 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 funny because when I as the years went on with the blog, I'd hear from people and people would say like they just want to thank me, like thank you for speaking up, thank you for 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 doing what you do. And I'm I've always always like, what what am I doing? I'm just I'm not like what have I done? You know, um, <laughs> and I was a little bit bewildered by that. But I realize it's it's very much like I think Asians in America are not particularly in, encouraged to speak up. Like we're painted with a broad brush as being very passive and keeping our heads down being like um just good little minorities good little mm-hmm. immigrants and just do what you got to do and don't cause trouble and i i think the idea that anybody would be outspoken and stand up and raise their voice if you're asian american to a lot of people that was like really provocative mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. and so i think a lot of people were were inspired and, and reacted to that and i mean the best the best comments that i've gotten over the years is that are people who are like are other asian americans who've been geographically isolated in their area they come from a place where like i'm the i was the only asian in my school it was hard Um, but reading your blog was very helpful it connected me to a larger community beyond the confines of my physical space and and showed me that like i could plug into something more and that to me i'm like that's all i'm I'm glad i did this then you know because that's awesome yeah that stuff is so important yeah i mean yeah, I think that's also why why a lot of us gravitate towards Trek too, just to see ourselves represented in a different way, maybe. Yeah, um, we talked last season with um, Michelle Hurd about how I have this opinion that Trek is popular among black families because, especially in the 90s, it was something that we could watch as a family that didn't have to, that didn't center our race in like a trauma story type way it was just like you could just see black people being space captains and piloting stuff and not have to deal with the things that normally tv at that time was forcing us to deal with it's like when the representation comes you want you want it to feel light sometimes and it doesn't always it doesn't always feel that way because they're trying to correct the fact that we haven't seen enough of us in tv and so a lot of times writers are trying to you know make answer for that a little bit and mm-hmm. talk about the hardships which is important but sometimes you just want to sometimes you just want to be battling aliens you know <laughs> let us battle aliens. for me it's it is that optimistic that hopeful vision of the future where you know like we can aspire to be part of something that's greater than just the dirty stuff that's going down down here <laughs> um and then on top of that, I mean, like I talk about minutia and all those little things that fans really like, and it holds us together to talk about and 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 you know sort of um, get excited about on on message boards and things like that. Um, all that stuff, it like in a lot of ways, it's like it transcends kind of like the the the, the things that divide us. And you're like, you, we we all love this one. We love this show. We all love mm-hmm. this, the movies and the TV. We all love the world that was created with all the building blocks of this minutia, right? Um, and that that what brings us together. I mean, my favorite thing is going to like a con going to like Comic Con and seeing like you wait in line for some some something that you all love. 
I'm next to you know next to this giant crowd of people that I have not really outside of this nothing <laughs> in common with. But you can just strike up a conversation with stranger number one for the entire two hour duration of this line, sure, and become best friends because <laughs> yeah. of this of this thing that you love. You know, <laughs> I love that. Okay, I have one more like kind of loaded question. Well, I say it's loaded because I feel like I want to make sure that people who come on the show know that if they have a criticism of the franchise, it's welcome and not to feel like you have to be careful about it. Yeah, and after this, I have an extremely loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know if loaded is the right term. I guess I'm just like, here's a question that you might feel weird about answering, but I want you to. How do you feel when certain traits are borrowed from human earth cultures to then create aliens in the franchise. And I'll, I'll stay vague so that if you want to get specific, you can, but it does that count as representation or <laughs> is it weird space appropriation? <laughs> it is weird space appropriation, I think. Yeah. Um, especially when it's in, done in such broad stroke, like such broad, like stereotypical strokes, right? And, you know, we might, like a lot of people say that, um, some people say that Spock was Asian, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, some people will attribute sort of his um, his demeanor to, to a certain kind of Asian person, his logic, his his sort of, his, his absence of emotion. Like some people mm-hmm. will, you know, attribute that to Asians. I, I, I think that, I, I think if you can, you can, you can take inspiration from, a culture or an ab- attribute that's one thing but i think for the most part like i think star trek avoids that in 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 most most cases right i think maybe in the old school in the original series there's a little bit more the the analogies were a little more thin it's annoying when you see it and it's not very uh it's not very subtle let's just say that mm. yeah sure yeah and it's one of those things where it it can kind of change minute to minute at least for me where sometimes I'm going, ooh, what are these aliens? Are these supposed to be uh, something that we're recognizing? And then sometimes it's fine. But yeah, I, I, yeah, I think I agree with you on the space appropriation side of it. it can get a little weird. Paul, what's your super loaded question? <laughs> I don't have a super loaded question. Dang. <laughs> I wanted something spicy for the end of the pod here. How many Asians from Star Trek are left to interview. So I I have compiled a list and uh it's pretty long. Like and this is compiled over just watching hours and hours of, <laughs> right and then seeing somebody I'm like oh I'm going to write that down. <laughs> uh write that name down and maybe I'll get to them someday. There are a lot. Mm-hmm. There are quite a few and uh, quite a few um names that like are like semi known, like people would know them. Um and uh this show could go on for a while. I, I think uh, the podcast could could exist for a while, and and they keep making Star Trek. So yeah. there's there you know they're gonna there are gonna be more Asians in the future. So I I that's uh, true. Yeah, I have no fear that this is gonna end anytime soon. Great, that is that is very good to hear. Yeah, it's good. It's one of those things where it's like you start it to point out that there's maybe not enough, but hopefully as it keeps going, you'll never have to stop. There'll just be seasons upon seasons of it. I'm gonna start. Get, yeah, I'm gonna have to start asking, like you know, uh, background extra number three from <laughs> yeah. you know some odd episode of Deep Space Nine to be on, and I'm I'm cool with that too. But uh, <laughs> I, you know, you kind of need to spread out the good stuff throughout right. the run, right? <laughs> for sure, for sure. 
I was going to say that I could um, help you start keeping a tally, but then I was like, I don't think I should have a list of Asians just in my possession. <laughs> I think it's okay if you have it, but like, I'm just, I'm not going to do that just because I don't I don't want that. That's going to be an awkward conversation. Someone comes upon that list and like, what? Tani, why you got this? What is I'm like, no, it's for a podcast. It's for this? a podcast. My friend Phil, he needs it. And you're like, mm, suspect. <laughs> well, this has been amazing. Uh, we told the people about all the Asians on Star Trek. Great pod. They should check out. Great conversations with people involved in Star Trek. So listeners of this will love that. Um, what else do you want to tell people about or tell them where they can find you? Uh, you can find my blog at angryasianman.com. You can also check out my other podcast. It's called They Call Us Bros. It's with my good friend, Jeff Yang. We call it an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. And uh, that's pretty much it. Fantastic. I love it. Well, Phil, thank you so much for chatting with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been an honor. Paul, another interview down in the books. Another one down. <laughs> Who is keeping these books, by the way? There is uh, a, there's a, there's somebody in charge. There's a manager who is. Mm, you're uh, being very shifty right now. Well, I'm not saying who it is. I'm I, not saying it's, you know. I feel like you, you know think? something that I don't know and it's making me mad. Look, you know, I mean, look, we're both in the Star Trek world now. Uh, just because I am, I am on the animated show. You're on the animated show as well. Why don't you know the secrets that I know? You're a series regular. You outrank me. Yeah, they they do. It is like the military when you're a series regular. They give you. I get little bars on my shirt that I have to wear. A little chevron on my uh, on my sleeve. Uh, yeah, and they tell me, hey, there's a. There's a, there's someone upstairs keeping track, keeping a tally. Someone so. upstairs. Keep it. An angel? Uh, oh, I was thinking like there's a big office building and there's someone literally on the top floor. I hear upstairs. I just think heaven. That's all I know. You know what? When I think upstairs, if I think about upstairs for too long, it keeps going up for me and then that becomes heaven. <laughs> like a sort like of a stairway. Um, close. It's more just like more upstairs and then there's continuously more upstairs. upstairs. <laughs> you guys, why do you listen to this? Why, why do you want this? You, here's what you need to know. Right after the interview's done, shut this shit off. Yeah, don't listen to the people that we have on because they're here to to be real and to talk about Star Trek. Paul and I, this is our the only time we get to hang out. So yeah. we're just... <laughs> This is what we would be doing if we were having a drink somewhere. <laughs> yes. Listen, here's what you do. You fast forward through the opening. <laughs> yeah. Get to the interview. Listen yeah. to someone without a rotten brain talk for a while. <laughs> and then after that's done, shut it off. Yeah. But seriously, guys, give us five stars. Uh, rate and review wherever you rate and review your pods. <laughs> yep. <laughs> don't Make mention no this mention, part. Don't, no, please, don't mention the filibustering don't mention, don't that we do. <laughs> The absolute just treading water that we do. We're taking up space in your phone right now. We're taking up data space oof, in your phone oof, to talk oof. about nothing. Yeah. How dare we? Now we're talking about talking about nothing. And we're still taking up space in your phone. This this episode is longer because of this shit we're doing right now. <laughs> we're living rent-free in your phone. But if you didn't shut this off right after the interview, this is this is on you. That's if on you're you. Still listening to this? That's on going forward. You have been warned. You have been warned. Nothing good happens after the interview. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, this has been the official Star Trek podcast, despite what the last seven minutes have sounded like. And uh, you can tell us if you like it. Like Paul said, rate and review. It helps people find the pod. Tell your friends. Uh, yeah. Tell your mom. Um, you can hey, tell your mom. us. Hey, tell your mom for me, okay? Um, you can add us. I'm at Trondy Newman. Um, it's not my name, but it sounds like it's also not. Uh, and he's at uh, Paul F. Tompkins. P.F. Tompkins. Wait, where are you Paul F. Tompkins? On Insta? Uh, no, nowhere. Just at home. <laughs> <laughs> so if you go to Paul's house, call him Paul F. Tompkins. If yes, you're just on the internet, P.F. Tompkins. Yes. And of course, Mr. Hutchinson. <laughs> Always at Mr. Hutchinson. At Mr. Hutchinson. I think there might be an underscore. All right. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week. LLAP. Thank you. Love you. Bye. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.